0: This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 238. Hey friends, welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today I have a fantastic guest for you. His name is Dr. Steve O'Ely, and he is a veterinarian in New Zealand. So it's morning there and afternoon here. He is also a career coach and he is the host of the Next Step Vet podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me on, Julie.
0: (laughs) I love meeting new veterinarians and we've already met because I guested on your podcast. So I'm just delighted to talk to you again and and uh, see what we can bring to the veterinarians out there.
1: Awesome. We'll see where so, we go.
0: Yeah. So can you start by telling us your veterinary story? That's that's the question I like to ask everyone. How did you get started down this veterinary road?
1: Sure, Julie. So we'll wind back the clock about 10 years. So I started out, um, graduated in, uh, from Massey University in New Zealand. And started out in mixed animal practice in rural New Zealand um, doing three years of cats and dogs, um, sheep and cows, deer, horses, everything in between. Um, it was a real shock to the system. So I'd come Sounds
0: from... fun, but difficult, right?
1: Yes. Um, it was a good challenge, though. So I had um, five years of um, having an absolutely awesome time at uni with some of my best friends. And then I suddenly found myself um, in an isolated rural town. Um, And really out of my depth, I hadn't really completely prepared myself for what the veterinary career was going to be. I was probably quite young and immature going into vet school. And so actually getting out into the profession was um, a shock to the system. But after a really challenging first year as a vet where I felt massively out of my depth, um, I did get to a stage where I really started to enjoy being a clinical vet and the variety that a mixed animal vet, um, brought. So I did that for three years. Uh, and then naturally as, um, someone gets into their mid twenties, um, I found, uh, found a girl that I was interested in and we moved to a different practice. Um, and so I did two years there and another practice in New Zealand. Um, and then we headed overseas to the UK where I did locoming for about a year um and then came back to New Zealand and this is where uh my veterinary career started to get quite rocky so for the first five or six years I had my ups and downs in the in my um, career but overall really enjoyed it and um got to experience all the different varieties and aspects of being a vet but what happened after coming back from overseas was that we decided to move to a um place in New Zealand called Papamoa which is a beautiful beach town and a lovely place to live Um, and the only job going at the time was um, work at a corporate small animal clinic and I found myself really unhappy in that job so I was consulting doing about 30 consults a day um just finding the work quite unrewarding, pretty repetitive. The client's extremely demanding. Um, And while I knew I was unhappy and probably that something needed to change, uh, there was this moment where I came home after yet another long day at work and my partner said to me, Steve, I don't look forward to you coming home from work.
0: (laughs) That's not good
1: no and that was the day I realized that uh, something needed to change um and so I will talk more about my veterinary career going forward but I I do think it's important to to tell you what happened at this stage which was that I got life coaching um from a guy named Chris Turner he was an ex-dairy farmer and I'm sure our conversation will get to the finer details of um, what I learned from this experience Um, but the long and the short of it was that it forced me to reflect on who I was as a person and where my career was going and I knew that I needed to, to make a change out of clinical practice at that time and so coincidentally at the time there was a job going at a a drug company um, working as a kind of like a technical vet um, and doing a bit of marketing and i applied for this role and was lucky enough to get it um and this really made me realize um you know, i found myself in a role where i was doing work better suited to who i was as a per- person and um you know really using my strengths and feeling more valued and feeling like the work was more rewarding um and that's not to say that the job was perfect and that i didn't miss aspects of being a clinical vet but yeah really enjoyed this change um and from there i probably would still be in a similar role to that now uh, but our life circumstances changed. And something that I haven't told you about this job that I was in was that I was commuting quite a lot just to get to work. Mm. Uh, and then we we had a baby girl, uh, one of the happiest days of my life. And oh, I know,
0: I'm so, uh, yeah, kids are their best, right?
1: Yeah. And so we, you know, I continued doing that job, but it became very clear that it was not going to be sustainable long term. And we ended up moving to um, another town to be close to uh, my in-laws. And I had to resign from my previous job. And since then, I've been back in clinical practice. But what has also been going on behind the scenes that I haven't um, yet told you about is that I've been um, getting into the career coaching space. So through doing that life coaching, it made me kind of like realize what my strengths and interests were. And the last couple of years I've been doing a deep dive into what makes a meaningful career. And so what I do on the side, on top of my work as a clinical vet is I coach other vets stuck in their career. I love that. And I think that's probably where we get to the point where we're at uh, 10th of June, 2023.
0: Well, tell me what you find helpful about life coaching because I interview a few life coaches on the podcast, but not a lot. And so I really do think that it's something that's a lot of people don't know about. And because you've been coached and I've been coached um, through life coaching, and now you're doing the career coaching. um, Tell me a little bit about that. Like, why do you think it's important? What's great about it?
1: I think personally, it does come down to the life coach that you do get because life coaching is quite a vague term um i imagine that there would be some life coaches out there that aren't uh very good at what they do i was lucky enough (laughs)
0: yeah you're probably right
1: (laughs) i was lucky enough that i I, uh i met a guy who actually um really was good at what he does and for me what that was was right at the start of the coaching what he got me to do was to start journaling um, both emotions that were coming up during the day and a few successes from the day. Mm -hmm. And what that did was it forced me to actually consider my emotions more deeply than just, um, you know, at the start of the coaching, I'd come back after a day of work and think, you know, today sucked. I feel grumpy (laughs) after a day of work. And i did this for a few weeks and i started to think it, this journaling was a complete waste of time but then after i uh, would journaled more and more i started to notice specific emotions as they were coming up during the day so where previously i might have said i felt grumpy after a long day of work or clients made me feel like banging my head against a brick wall <laughs> um i then started to get more specific so I would actually notice that I would be doing a morning of consults and be perfectly having a perfectly enjoyable morning and then one particular client would walk in and completely drain me of energy from one conversation Uh, it also highlighted parts of the job that I still actually enjoyed so I'd, I'd noticed that I really enjoyed having banter with colleagues or working with a nurse in surgery and so through journaling that was sort of a starting point of realizing what energized me and what drained me of energy at work which then was I guess a catalyst for me then pointing my career in a different direction because I would um come home and realize hey this particular area is something that's really energizing me the other side of the journey journaling was um you know journaling successes from the day and I want to go back a bit in both for me and for other vets. I think that we, a lot of us grow up in environments where we're only praised for the big achievements. So I grew up with conservative South African parents where it was sort of expected, um, you know, academic success and and other success was sort of expected and you'd only really be celebrated if you had some big uh, win. But what the journaling did was it forced me to reflect on the small wins in the day so right at the start of the coaching i really struggled to come up with two or three successes from the day but after doing the journaling for a while i started to really notice and celebrate the small wins like uh, for example if i made a colleague laugh when i um, formed a genuine connection with the client um, or even just um, enjoying um, sipping on a cup of coffee morning tea Um, and so by identifying these little successes it slowly improved my mindset and made me has made me a more positive person than I was at the start of the coaching
0: and that's the magic of coaching I think is just giving you the tools to allow you to first of all get to know yourself right because you had to realize that you were looking at all these negatives and why you were so stressed out, and realizing that you didn't notice the good things, and then training, retraining your brain to notice yeah. the good. And I love that about it because that that's where it's at. Yeah. So what What yeah, about think, this? Oh, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, Julie, the other thing I wanted to say about the life coaching because that wasn't, you know, the only part of it. Um, Sure, and it's probably too hard to explain every aspect of the life coaching a
0: lot right there's a lot involved
1: I think what Chris was really good my life coach was really good at doing was he would do all the listening and he was very good at bringing to surface issues that I was having at the time so we looked at every aspect of my life from uh what do we look at from emotions to finances to relationships to health and physical to career um to even um an intimate relationship we looked at all these areas of of my life but he never at any point sort of told me this is what we need to focus on um we would just have a conversation and he would listen and he was very good at bringing to surface probably stuff that was deeper in my subconscious Mm -hmm. and through it because he was very good at what he did he was good at bringing to the surface um different issues which then would force me to challenge these ideas that were coming up and so i know a lot of vets do potentially struggle with mindset and and potentially you know there's a lot of mental health issues within the vet profession Um, the more that this thinking gets exposed the more that you can then question you know like for example if you are often having quite negative thoughts about yourself if you've got a good life coach that exposes these thoughts you then can start to actually look at them and reflect and say oh hang on maybe you know I'm not that um useless or I'm not that um that bad at this or that and it forces you to to rethink yourself and shift your mindset.
0: Yeah. And I, I I think it helps you notice them because we have all these thoughts sometimes that we don't even realize it. You know, we we think it's because of the clients and it's not. It's because of something else we're thinking. So I, I think just helping us notice what's going on in our in our brain is is kind of the the beauty of it. And then also the learning about what you're going to do about it. What kind of things do you want to think differently? That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm
1: just going to um, flip a question on you, Julie, um, is what would be the, because it's probably too hard to explain the life coaching that you do, (laughs) what would be the, if you could only do one thing for your life coaching, when you're um, coaching other people, what would be the thing you choose to do?
0: Um, do you mean as far as what part of their life would I choose to work on or what kind of what am I trying to unlock when I'm coaching them
1: or more just like one tool from your toolbox if you only had oh. one tool from your life coaching toolbox what oh
0: boy be? well I I love that you said journaling because I think that that is I I sometimes call it thought dumping or mind downloading or you know that kind of thing but just trying to trying to create awareness about what's going on. And I call it the Chihuahua brain, that primitive brain, what's going on in there that we're not aware of. And so I think, I think the journaling and the other tool that I really love that I've had used on me when I've been coached and I use it on a lot of my clients is the writing a list of things that are great about you. So it's like 25 reasons I'm a rock star or 25 reasons I'm a great veterinarian or whatever, whatever we're struggling with, whether it's self-worth or um, imposter syndrome or something like that, trying to write a list of things that show our brain that we're really not a bad person. Basically what you said is those thoughts that come up that tell you you're not worthy are the thoughts that we're trying to work on and get rid of, or at least be aware of. So when they come up, we can ignore them and be like, um, no, I'm not thinking that anymore. Yeah. So I think the journaling and the thought downloading and then the kind of writing a list and reminding yourself what's good, which is basically what you did with your, with your journaling.
1: Yeah, and I think um, journaling on its own is great. But then if you're not also having tools to, encourage you to think more positively and shift yeah. your mindset then potentially you could just journal you know all these negative things you're thinking about yourself and I mean I'm, I'm still sure that journaling would help but there there does have to be a sort of positive shift to it which is why I believe the um, success log which I still do to this day mm-hmm. is um, really important in terms of you know like really forcing your brain to think about positive things about yourself or positive things that have happened during the day.
0: Right. Yeah. Cause you're basically reframing, you know, I've had, I've had clients come to me and and say, Oh, it was a terrible day. This one client was mean, blah, blah, blah. And they'll tell me the whole story. And I'll say, okay, what else happened? Like how many clients did you see today? And they'll say, Oh, I saw 25. Well, what were they all mean? Or just this one? and they'll say well just that one and i okay well how what's the percentage then of clients that are mean today you know and just yeah. trying to kind of challenge those thoughts that we think oh because one client was mean now they're all mean and that's kind of you know what we all tend to do right yeah and that's why your success thing works so well so tell me um we've got a lot of new grads at least here in the united states that just got out of school they're brand new baby veterinarians what advice would you give to them starting out to try to either prevent what you went through and getting really discouraged or um maybe opening their mind up to the the potentials because you change jobs multiple times too
1: and that's what you coach
0: people on right
1: yeah so um before getting into what i actually coach um other vets on um I think definitely the journaling which we've already just talked about as a new grad would be something helpful um I think maybe you know realizing that their first year is going to be challenging so the first six months of my career were definitely the hardest I've still had my low points and challenges but those first six months are particularly hard and I think there is an element of just having to have a bit of resilience and realize that that first six months to a year in particular is going to be challenging the journaling is going to help you keep um keep things in perspective and keep you in a positive mind frame once you've worked for about six to twelve months at the very least it's at this point then i i would recommend that people start looking at um different areas of their career um, in particular you know for the purpose of today's conversation because we don't have three or four hours to talk about this. I think a couple of We
0: could talk about right. it that long, right?
1: <laughs> um, I know that no one's going to switch on for a podcast for three or four hours or at least 90% <laughs> of you aren't. So we're, we're going to try and keep this shorter than that. So um, if I'm going to p- uh, pick a couple of things, number one would be um, identifying your strengths, mm. which I don't mean, you know, uh, identifying that maybe surgery might be a strength of yours or, you um, you know radiology I'm talking more bigger picture um strengths that can apply to not just veterinary but any other career um and the way to do this is by doing the Clifton Strengths Finder assessment now I don't get any financial compensation for recommending this assessment um but it is the most valuable tool that I have found um for really figuring yourself out. So before doing the Clifton Strengths Assessment, I'd probably done Myers-Briggs. I'd done um, disc profiling. I'd done daily horoscopes and even the Hogwarts (laughs) sorting hat quiz on Facebook. Um, But but none of them really um, made me understand myself as well as doing the Clifton Strengths Assessment. And the reason that I have confidence recommending this to other people is that it's been done by close to thirty million people worldwide, and there's research to show that people that use their strengths on a daily basis are more likely to be engaged in their work and happier in their life. So what the Clifton Strengths Assessment does is you get you get asked about one hundred and fifty to two hundred questions, and after answering answering these, it highlights your strengths from number one to thirty four um focusing in on your top five strengths and these are um you know as an example for myself my top five strengths were futuristic strategic thinking communication ideation and resourcefulness so I looked at these strengths and I thought you know this was the first time in my life that I realized I always sort of knew that I was a big picture thinker and I knew that I was good with communication But I never realised how strong strategic thinking and influencing traits were within me. And it made me realise that for me personally, I'm not speaking for any other vet, but for me personally, day-to-day clinical vet work was not going to be the best long-term option for me. And so I needed to start exploring um, careers and ideas around um, things where I could be doing strategic thinking. I could be thinking about the future. I could com- be communicating with other people coming up with ideas and displaying resourcefulness. Now, if you look at a career coach, a career coach needs to be able to communicate with people.
0: Sure. They
1: need to be able to have strategic thinking. Um, they need to have an ability to see the future and see potential in others. Um, they need to have the ability to come up with ideas. And then having a level of resourcefulness is also handy as a career coach and so almost by accident well not not completely by accident but the the clifton strengths assessment helped me to realize areas of strengths and then through a process of um trying things and being curious and and showing an interest in all these different areas i kind of fell into career coaching by accident It actually started where, when I looked at my strengths, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to do a (laughs) podcast on, um, the future of work, um, and helping people to design a career that works for them. And so it started out as podcasting and over time has molded to, you know, I still podcast now, but I also, um, use, um, use the podcasting as a resource for my coaching,
0: um,
1: and I don't really I don't think we have the time to go into the the full details of my transformation, but essentially the Clifton Strengths Assessment was the uh, the catalyst for helping me identify my strengths and then seeing where I could use them in the world of work.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's that's a really important thing to do, right? Is to try to figure out where your strengths are. I, I often talk about working on your strengths is so much more important than working on your weaknesses, because that's what can really propel you forward. And when you're in a career with so many options like vet med, you can really focus in on different different aspects of the career to make it fit your personality better. So I, I've not taken this assessment, but I will now, because I think it yeah. sounds, I love all the profilings, I've taken a lot of them, but I think this one sounds really, really interesting and, and useful.
1: And it's got research behind it too. You, you know, mm-hmm. we're speaking to vets and I'm sure that, um, you know, that's kind of why I joke about <laughs> the daily horoscopes and, and the Hogwarts sorting hat quizzes. Um, right. You know, it's all well and good finding out that I'm, uh, I'm Slytherin, but what uses <laughs> they to have when there's no research
0: behind it. <laughs> I, I haven't done that. But... My son did that with his girlfriend. They did it one time and I watched it, but I didn't do it. That's funny.
1: The, the other <laughs> thing, Julie, I wanted to say um, is, uh, you know, we, so we talk about um, strengths, but the other one that I thought was really important to talk about today is uh, values Yeah. Um, and how people can figure out their values is th- there is no, well, as far as I'm aware, there's no easy assessment to do online to figure out your values. Um, but there are resources out there to help you um, figure out your values. Um, One is a career coach, such as myself. And um, if anyone needs help um, and needs a career coach, I'd love um, you to talk to me, but if you're not interested in working with a career coach and you just want to figure out your values for yourself, um, where I discovered values was through a book called squiggly careers or squiggly. Yeah. Squiggly careers. Um, And they, they have a, quite a good exercise for helping you narrow down your values. So values, I don't know um, what experience you've had with values, Julie, but um, values often, or at least from my perspective, I see values or used to see values as kind of this cringy thing. that
0: Exercise, right? That they put you in a room with a group and they tell you to figure out your hospital values and your more, your, Um, mission statement. It was kind of one of those things.
1: I saw it more as the experiences that I had would be working at a company where they would have their values.
0: Um,
1: And you'd look at them and you'd think, um, you know, it's all well and good saying that um, you care about relationships and community and the environment, but you've got to walk the talk. The difference with doing values for yourself is it's really personal to you and uh so my uh so what they generally do is try and um get you down to less than five values but ideally three or four core core values so my core values are friendship um now i'm gonna seem like an idiot because i don't know if i can remember these off the top of my head (laughs) uh friendship um vision like big picture ideas, but um, I call it vision. Freedom.
0: Mm.
1: And what's the other one? I don't remember what the other one was. <laughs> You'll four. think of it. But yeah, anyway, the, the the long and the short of it is um it's all well and good using your strengths, but if you are in a workplace or a career that doesn't align well with your values, then you likely won't. Oh, that's the other one. Number four for me was meaning or purpose.
0: Meaning. Yeah. Purpose. A lot so, of, so, a lot of us uh, have that one, right?
1: Yeah. So in, in, in order, it's actually um, from one to four is friendship, meaning, vision and freedom you yeah. know and they're very kind of like vague terms but within each of those values is actually a description that's personal to me so for me friendship is about um being feeling part of a community it's about having friends both within and outside of the workplace um and being able to have conversations with people then if we look at um, meaning it sort of speaks for itself. It's um, doing something that feels meaningful to me, and then vision is about being able to um, come up with big picture ideas and and um, and and express creativity on a daily basis, which is something that I wasn't really getting to do to do a lot um, as a routine clinical vet. And then finally, freedom is both feeling in control of my time, and also having a level of financial comfortability as well. Mm -hmm. So everyone's values are going to be unique to them. So even if there's someone on this, uh, listening to this podcast that has the exact same four values as me, what friendship means to them might be very different to what friendship means to me. Um, But once you know your values, it then is a really good guide as to what sort of workplace or what sort of career you should be in.
0: Right. And I think that a lot of them are deal breakers, right? Like you do, you can't work for a boss who has a totally different value system than you have. It, it happened to me when I first started working. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all about not lying, honesty, that kind of thing. And my boss would lie to clients and... You know, just do things that I felt were unethical and that it just can't, you can't work like that. And I think that's why having these values figured out is is something that's going to help you design your career. Is that how you felt that I need to design a career around these values?
1: Yeah, 100%, like not just the values, um, strengths and other things as well, but I think it is a core part of it. And if you haven't identified your values, yes you might if in your example of the um you know the boss who's dishonest you might feel um like something's not right at work and you just don't completely understand or know why you're not happy Mm -hmm. um but if one of your values is massively out of alignment in a workplace it might be quite clear like you might think to yourself yeah this is pretty obvious um my boss is dishonest and i I really care about honesty right if it's something more subtle like uh, freedom as an example is you might not realize that being um you know like someone else essentially telling you when you need to work and, and slotting you into these time slots you might not realize that that's a big reason why you might not be feeling happy in a particular job is because right. you feel like um, you've got a lack of autonomy and I'll actually say this regardless of what your values are three of the most important things in a um, job and this has been shown in um, Dan Pink's work and the book Drive he talks about um, having mastery which is being good at what you do having autonomy which is a sense of control of your time and having um, a a sense of purpose as well so those three Mm -hmm. are quite crucial to to enjoying your job
0: yeah so that kind of brings me back to the new veterinarians is these are exercises that they can actually do for themselves to make sure that they know what direction they they're choosing to go in or if they're feeling out of alignment why that might be is that how you would use it when you're career coaching?
1: Yeah 100% and and for people that so for a new graduate or a young vet that is maybe not happy in their current job I would just encourage them to not jump to the conclusion that vet medicine is not for them uh so there are genuinely going to be people listening to this podcast that maybe when they look at their values and they look at their strengths they need to consider something other than clinical vet work but I think there's a lot of vets within the profession that are potentially being lost out of the profession because they are in unhappy workplaces Mm -hmm. and they're leaving because of the workplace that doesn't align with their values and actually if they were in the right supportive environment they would enjoy you know majority of the clinical work so um strengths is great strengths is a big part of it but identifying your values is probably going to be quite helpful to help you understand whether it's the job that's the issue or it's the career that's the issue if you're someone that's currently unhappy in your your line of work.
0: Yeah, and you really speak in my language when you say that because it disturbs me greatly that um, people blame the profession for what's not going right instead of trying to find the place in the position in the profession that works for them. And I like that you are coaching people to figure that out. It's like, what part of that med, you know, even if it's corporate or if it's, you know, drug companies, like you worked in a drug company. um, I just, I hate to see us lose these people that went to vet school because it was their dream and then something goes wrong or the first, like you said, the first six months are really difficult and they think it's, it's not for them.
1: Yeah. So, I do again. um on, on that note, I do have some concerns about the direction of the profession at the moment.
0: Yeah. Tell me about that. I was gonna I was gonna ask that. I think that was one of my questions on my list.
1: Yeah, so I think uh, in the the most summarizable way is the corporatization of uh, vet clinics and what that brings is not to me is not healthy to the longevity of a vet in the profession um I'm not saying that all corporates are bad but when you look at a corporate model the number one indicator of success is money and that's not to say that a family business doesn't care about money they still need to make ends meet but I think the more the family owned vet um you know the locally owned vet clinic they're more likely to care about the other stuff and maybe take a hit financially to ensure that there's you know balance in the workplace and their their staff are happy what's dangerous about the corporate model is that when money is the only focus then it makes sense to treat um, a vet clinic like a production line and to treat vets like a production line worker and so particularly in the context of a corporate small animal clinic from a purely business sense it makes sense to uh book a vet in for 30 consults a day and to have this system in place that they're you know consulting all day and become like a robot that does you know tons and tons of consults and and and, um bills as much as possible and you know it makes sense not to block out time for them to catch up on notes and um, not um catch up on um you know reporting to clients so what is happening with this sort of model I think is that when we go back to that meaning question like doing meaningful work if vets are being treated like production workers in a production line then that is going to suck the potentially suck a lot of the enjoyment out of the job so instead of having some variety and, and know breaking up your day a bit and having a bit of surgery here and and making sure that they're not doing too many consults in a day that they've got time to catch up on notes and and actually time to have a break and um and you know go for lunch and take a bit of a breather what I am seeing is happening is more and more vets getting burnt out because they're just doing too many consults in a day and yeah I think I mean I could talk about this for a lot longer but
0: <laughs> it's a big problem like, right now isn't it
1: yeah i can't talk as much to even though i've worked in both large animal practice and i have had a little bit to do with equine i can't talk as much to those businesses but definitely within small animal practice i think corporatization of vet clinics is unhealthy for veterinarians
0: do you think that we have any power to change that like if is there a way for veterinarians to fight back for something like that? Or do we cave to the money?
1: I mean, we definitely have power to, to change. It's not an easy <laughs> if question.
0: the corporations to are too big. I just it's feel almost, like if people keep quitting vet med or keep leaving to go work in other other ways whether it be house call practices or small businesses that at some point the corporations are going to have to change in order to be able to even have veterinarians on staff
1: yeah it's going to be interesting what uh, to see what happens in the next few years Um, I don't think there's a quick easy fix and I think one of the challenges is that as long as you keep a vet in practice for five to ten years even if they eventually get burnt out to the point that they leave the profession in one shape or form um you're still getting new grad vets coming through and you've still got that backup of vets coming into the system I think the only way for it to change is if uh the working environment's so bad that we're losing significantly more vets out than we're putting in from, you know, um, training and graduating vets. Right. So it ends up being
0: a numbers game,
1: huh? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that we can do, but I think at the moment, the only way I can see things changing is if, um, the burnout problem becomes so bad, we're losing so many vets that actually corporates have to say, well, we can't keep, we, we actually we're not hiring enough vets and we're literally losing money if yeah. corporates start losing money then things will change
0: yeah i, I kind of see that um i see the veterinary, the profession changing not only going towards corporates but it's getting very entrepreneurial like there's so many people that are starting new things i've i've interviewed people that have house call practices and relief vet practices and just and they're still corporations, I guess, because but they're small. Um, but trying to solve the problem by changing up the way we deliver our services, and so maybe that goes back to the strategic thinking: is we need to think more about this and how do we make it better.
1: To 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 um, give a bit more of a positive note on this conversation, one thing that is going to disrupt every industry in the next five to ten years, maybe even sooner um and um vet is not going to be immune to this is um the development of ai Um, and having been in the podcasting space um i do both um editing of podcasts as well as stuff around social media and in the two to three years that i've been in this space i've seen a massive improvement in ai and it is really not unrealistic to see a very near future where you don't need to be a qualified vet to be the person in the consult room and by that I mean imagine a world in which we hired twice as many nurses or people that were able to handle animals but weren't you know qualified to give medications but we had AI that based on the history and the clinical findings was a hundred times more accurate than us at diagnosing illnesses. Mm-hmm. That might sound like science fiction and something that's still, you know, ten or twenty
0: coming years though, ago.
1: right? It's coming sooner than Best. we may realize, mm-hmm. and I, I know that anyone that's in um, fields such as uh, pathology and radiology, uh, those jobs, very realistically in the next well, I don't know if it's even five years away. It may even be sooner. Very realistically, those jobs might be gone to AI. And um, vets might be sitting there thinking, well, you know, we do surgery. We're not going to lose our jobs. Yes, vets do surgery, and (laughs) it's still probably quite a while away before robots are going to be doing surgery. But, you know, if you think of what we do in a consult room, how much of that can be replaced by, um, you know, a AI looking at diagnostics and um, and figuring that stuff out?
0: So, is this and, something and, you and, think and we to, should be say, happy so to, about?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, to put a positive spin on it, what, what <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm
0: like, like you're sounding kind of scary right now. Let's make yeah,
1: so happy. what what, what, it, what it might so what it might um, <laughs> so it, it might sound. uh, sound negative but my personal opinion is that especially in the the small animal space probably the most challenging part of the job is consulting particularly around client interactions and the demands of clients
0: yes
1: and if there's a way that we can take some of that load off that um you know if you think of telehealth I don't think it's unrealistic in the next five to 10 years that a young person can contact an AI and say you know my dog's been vomiting for three days and losing weight or it's itchy and you know has been itchy over summer but it hasn't been itchy over winter and the AI will be able to to a certain degree you know medicate over the phone and you know just reduce the load off vets I think there's still going to be a space for clinical vets for many years to come and I think because we have the practical aspect to the job particularly surgery I don't see it in the near future that AI takes our jobs but I do think that AI has got the potential I'm not saying it will be the case. Um, but it's got the potential to um, massively take off the workload.
0: Yeah, if they could just write up my records, uh, then I'd be all, I'd be all over it. If I could have the AI do all of that part of well, it. Well,
1: I think that's uh, on the records front. I think that is um, that is easily one of the um, one of the areas where it's not unrealistic in the next year or two. You might um, do a voice memo and say, "I just saw a dog." 11-year-old dog that's um otherwise fine but it's got um bad teeth and a bit of arthritis and the AI generates your like comprehensive notes and love
0: that. Seconds, I would know, be all does. into that. That's <laughs> my least favorite even, part. even, of that,
1: even that alone is saving uh, you know that's saving people potentially sure. 2 to 3 minutes mm-hmm. of consult.
0: Yeah, that would save a ton of time. And it would make more profit for the corporations, right? If we mm-hmm. could be faster. <laughs>
1: That's what we want. Oh,
0: I love that. Yeah, yeah. AI scares me a little bit, but maybe it's because I'm a little older. And you know, I started vet med when you had to write your notes on little, like, note cards.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we should save the water. AI for another. I think we should save the AI for another conversation. I think. it's
0: Yeah, if you want to do that, yes. ag- if you want to have another conversation about that, I'd love to hear about it because that's an interesting. I mean, it's both answer.
1: exciting. It's both exciting and absolutely terrifying at the same time.
0: It really is, isn't it? And
1: there's definitely some positives in the short term, but um, I don't uh, b- believe I'm enough of an expert in this field to to make any
0: I know I'm them. not.
1: To say that sure. I think it will, in the short term, I think it will help vet med in the long longer term. I don't know about, uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: We might just, all yeah. be on the beach. <laughs> we won't have to work anymore, maybe. I don't know.
1: Maybe. I don't know how
0: that's going to go. Okay, so what did we not say that we should say before we wrap it up? Did we did we not say something that you think is important that we need to talk about? We can always do this again.
1: I assume what we're just talking about now is gonna get edited out.
0: No. No, I think we need to talk about it. Do you want me to edit it?
1: Oh no, I just mean this this like current uh Yeah, I'm just thinking.
0: How about like self care? Like, do you talk about that at all on your podcast or for veterinarians? That's something that it's kind of like a buzzword in a way. But do you have any theory about that?
1: I mean, I I don't talk about self care. Well, I do talk about yourself. What
0: about um, you? Is it more about learning about yourself and getting coached and? No, I'm not saying that I don't talk about self
1: care. I guess I just don't use that exact word, but um. I think that's a big part of um, designing a career that works for you, which is what I do with people is yes, I'm a career coach, but um, a lot of the work that I do is a combination of career coaching and bringing in some of the, the best lessons that I learned from life coaching. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk in the context of self care, I think the, the most relevant thing that I can bring to the table is really looking at what work-life balance looks like to you um and when I coach other vets or vets stuck in their careers we look at all the important areas of their life and from a self-care perspective uh the big one would be health and physical so we look at um are you getting enough sleep are you exercising regularly are you allowing time to meditate, which research has shown will improve your happiness by about 10%. Like literally just 10 minutes a day of meditation will improve your happiness by 10%. It absolutely
0: and, uh, does. I did it this morning. I was feeling really anxious and I'm like, I should probably go meditate. And I, when I was done, I was like, oh, I feel so much better now.
1: <laughs> well, in the context of um, self-care, I actually got up at 3, 3 a.m. this morning to watch, oh, no. uh, watch the tennis Uh and oh, I was feeling right, a little bit man. jaded and and rubbish, and I meditated for about fifteen minutes, and it's yeah, literally just helped
0: makes a difference,
1: right? Feel feel a bit better, but yeah, yeah So from the, the work life balance perspective, we we're, we're looking at um, you know, are you allowing time for um exercise? Are you eating well? Are you sleeping well? Are you doing stuff like meditating or at least doing activities that give your mind a break but then also um looking at what your hours are and whether that's a contributor contributing factor to your happiness at work Mm
0: -hmm. so
1: to go back to that corporate small animal job I wasn't enjoying one of the things I noticed was when COVID hit our hours got reduced from it was a minimal change I think it was 36 hours a week to about 30 or 32 hours but even just that small amount of extra time in the morning and a small amount of extra time in the afternoon I noticed in a significant improvement in my happiness at work
0: mm-hmm.
1: I will also also say that um, with uh, COVID we also didn't have clients in the clinic so it um, <laughs> definitely helped us <laughs> that was a big it.
0: improvement wasn't it <laughs> But, um, yeah, I love it's, it's people, cool. but hey, I was like, keep them in the parking lot. I'm this. I'm cool with this.
1: <laughs> but every person is different in terms of what work-life balance work uh, looks like to you. And I'm sure that there's people that might be happy working 50 hours a week, but then sure. if you're currently doing 60 hours a week, something needs to change. Right. And it's about uh, finding what works for you. And then this goes right back to the journaling because if you start to exercise more regularly and you start to eat better and you start to make an active effort to go to bed an hour earlier than you used to. And you notice that all of these individual things are improving your well-being, Then by journaling, you're you're then actually acknowledging it. And it forces you to say, actually, hang on, sleep is really important to me. Or, um, you know, making sure that I go out for a run four times a week is really important to me. So from the self-care perspective, I'm not going to claim to be an expert in that area, but it's just looking at important areas in your life such as health um, such as sorry um, exercise and nutrition and sleep, and how making some changes in your life will then improve your own self-care.
0: right. Well, and I encourage people to force that you know if if you are working too much, you need to force that issue. You know, I I ran a veterinary hospital for years. And if my vets would come to me and say, look, I, I just can't work this many hours. I've got kids or, and I would just be like, all right, what do you think you can work? And we would work it out. And I know it's a little bit harder with the corporations, but because there's such a high demand for vet med right now, at least around here, I think that we can start to do that is really set those boundaries. So I'm glad you said that. I I agree with you. All those things are so useful. So tell everybody on this podcast where they can find you if they want to learn more. And we can do it again if you are enjoying this because we have a lot more things I'm sure we could talk about. We have very similar ideas. So, um, you know, where can they find you and if they want to learn more?
1: Yeah. So, um, firstly, your podcast. Really, you have your yeah, shirt thanks, on. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the um on your podcast. <laughs> oh,
0: I love it. It's um, fun. I'm sweating. Uh, what, it's hot here, but
1: <laughs> yeah. On the on the on the context of um you know stuff we could talk about going forward. Um, there's a lot of areas. Um, we haven't talked too much about the career side of things. Um, in terms of like once you've identified your your strengths and values, you know what you then do going forward. Right. to develop your career
0: yeah
1: um, and the, the stuff that i uh, uh coach other vets and isn't stuff that i'm making up and just based on my own experience it's actually based on some of the top career change resources in the world so using um your your strengths your values your interests and your purpose and then there are tools for designing a career that works for you so for people uh wanting to find out more about um, what I do, uh, you can check out the podcast. That's uh, Next Step Vet. Although it might be easier for Julie to say without the Kiwi accent, um, <laughs> and then they
0: can understand uh, you.
1: If you, I have a Kiwi see...
0: that works for me for years, so I'm used to it, I guess.
1: <laughs> um If you want to reach out to me personally, you can um, email me at steve at nextstep. dot vet. That's steve at nextstep. dot vet. And I'll put finally, it in the notes. If you just Finally, if you just want to um, um, see some social content, um you can see me on LinkedIn or Instagram, um both of those, which I'm sure Julie will be happy to link in the podcast.
0: I will. I certainly will. yeah, and we we just had a conversation put out recently on your podcast, so this is the second time we've talked. And uh, we'll definitely have to do it again. I love talking to people from other parts of the world. So yeah. I have a friend in Australia that I have on the podcast multiple times now I have you in New Zealand so
1: yeah definitely be open to another conversation
0: lovely I love it well I appreciate it so much any last words anything else we want to say or should we wrap it up
1: I think we can pretty much just wrap it up there but I will just say to um, anyone currently feeling stuck in your veterinary career uh, the most important thing you can do is just to take action of any shape or form, mm-hmm. even if it's just making changes in your current working hours, um, journaling and identifying what energizes you and drains you at work, talking to, to people in jobs that they're actually enjoying, um, looking at your interests. There's a lot of things that you can do. I mean, it is useful to have a career coach, but if you don't want to get coaching, um and you're unhappy in your career the the most important thing to do is really to to reflect and to take action because you know most people are going to be working for 30 or 40 years and it's a long time to be working and and spending your um you know some of the most uh you know the majority of your life if you're in a job that you're currently not enjoying so take action Um, start to look at what energizes you and drains you at work and start uh, looking at what um, your ideal career looks like and start designing a career that works for you
0: i love that that's perfect take action i gotta do stuff right well i really appreciate you coming on the podcast with me and having this conversation and i've really enjoyed talking to you so hopefully we will do it again
1: Awesome, Julie. Thanks for having me on the show. All
0: right. Everybody out there, have a beautiful week and do some journaling. I think that's really great. Bye, everybody. Bye, Steve.
1: Hey, Julie.